So I've given you a late night with Conan O'Brien mug. Oh, really? That's like a relic nowadays. We should get mugs. Is Conan O'Brien still going? Or yeah, he's got a, he's got a show, but it's on a different network. He was in. He was a bit shafted with the whole. He was meant to replace Jay Leno, and then Jay Leno wanted to come back, and then and now it's Jimmy Fallon who. Oh, uh, Jimmy Fallon! If there's ever. A, a- you know, someone who's desperate to try and get on YouTube as the next viral thing every single second. It's, mm. it's him. Well, he's created um, that whole lip sync battle thing, which is now a show, I think. Oh, yeah. He's very talented and, and very funny, but there's something, you know, a little bit tryhard in the fact that everything he does is trying to get on YouTube and trying to get viral. Mm. So you can sort of see that. It's sort of probably, it appeals to a lot younger audience, I think, because of that. Yeah, no there's reason. definitely there's definitely a gap in the market. I think for well, it's not even really a gap, but that's I've sp- spoken to people who are a bit older than me, who are parents about, and and they tell me that their kids don't even watch television anymore. They just watch YouTube. Yeah, they just sit in their room watching YouTube videos. And I heard in a podcast somewhere that someone was saying that for their birthday, their kid asked for a green screen, like a little green screen for their room, and they just sit in their room filming with their friends shit to put on youtube i'm like that's on the one hand that's fucking awesome and on another hand go outside yeah i think if that guy can maybe also do a bit of organized sport during the week i think he's <laughs> got a good life but i think yeah if it's if that's all he's doing then that's going to lead to intense isolation i reckon
G'day dudes and dudettes of the Coming Up Next work and welcome to the Australia Day episode of the Coming Up Next podcast. Thank you for tuning in, thank you for stopping by. If this is your first time, welcome to the Ramble Room, the chat cave, or as I like to refer to it, Chinwag Central. Actually, I like to refer to it as all the things I just said. My guest this week is an incredibly accomplished Melbourne-based musician. You can find his music on his Facebook page, which is Hugh Blaine's Music. You can find him on Bandcamp, and you can find him through Pound Records at www.poundrecords.com. My guest on Coming Up Next this week, the man you've just heard play, Hugh Blaine's. What's yeah. it like from a musician's point of view, actually, you know, using, utilizing things like YouTube and, and social media, SoundCloud, um, Bandcamp, these sort of online forums to get your music out into the world? Um, well, a lot of people would tell you that it's great, but um, I actually don't really like the internet that much. <laughs> and um, I just recently quit Facebook, mm. which it sounds like a huge thing. To do, but in fact, it was very easy. I just pressed the deactivate. Well, it wasn't that. It was you go one step further, go into this other platform, and you type it in. They give you fourteen days in case you want to change your mind, and you can sign in. But I haven't signed in, and I don't miss it one bit. You know, and I think in terms of connecting with people, I don't think the inter- the internet's great for certain things, but in terms of a substitute for connecting with people, I don't think it is necessarily doing its job. I think mm. there's SoundCloud, there's other things. You know, I'll listen to Nick's song on SoundCloud, I'll listen to, um, you know, I'll watch your film on the internet. But generally, I won't connect with something as much as if you're right in front of me, like now. Like, mm. if we were doing this phone interview, I wouldn't be in the moment talking to you right now. And that goes back to phones as well. Like, I, nothing's a substitute for... Real um, interaction. Real interaction, I mm. think. Yeah. So when it comes to putting your music out there, I think the connection you get, even if it's just with one person listening to your song live, um, nothing nothing beats that. Mm. Yeah. I guess that's a beautiful thing about being a musician is having that immediate feedback when you are performing live and it's kind of... Like I listen to podcasts with a lot of comedians where they interview other comedians and musicians and this there's this kind of overarching idea that you make your record to be able to perform live, um, to take it on the road, to go and live that kind of, live mm. the record's life. And I guess that comes back to that thing that you're saying about connecting and there's no substitute for um, real life connection. Yeah. No, there really isn't. Um, I had this discussion with a housemate and a friend the other night over some whiskey after a gig. And, and my housemate's um, he's a musician, but he doesn't really see that much music, he reckons. He doesn't even really listen to music that much. He just he likes just going out and seeing gigs, and he likes just um, playing music. Um, and we were talking about things like Spotify, for instance. And on one hand... Um, my friend, she said that she likes the fact that 
she can listen to all these things and she's a you know she's a musician herself um likes the fact that people can listen to um the tunes and if you're good enough you can maybe get these people to come to your shows so in a way you're advertising your show with the recording as opposed to what it used to be which is you're advertising your recording with your live show i I guess Mm. i guess it's kind of flipped in a way um and recordings no longer uh, the end goal. Like whether people spend thousand dollars a day on on the studio time um, anymore is. I think there's studios that are that are going bust because no one's. There's just no return. I think there was um, the highest selling um, band in terms of units last year was Tame Impala, and I think there was about 2,000 units sold or 20,000 units sold or something. And I mean, I'd be pretty happy with 2,000, but... um, Mm. Compared (laughs) to what it used to be. But yeah, and I don't even know if people are even using the word, the term platinum anymore or anything Mm. like that and whatever whatever that means. So the golden days of Michael Jackson, Thriller, you know, billion sales or whatever, I think are are long gone and... And, you know, I won't lie to you when I say that that's a kind of a depressing thing to think about as a musician. But, yeah, I, honestly, you just keep, you keep doing it, you know. You keep, keep, you keep filming, you keep playing music, you just keep doing it. Mm. What is it for you that you keep, that keeps you doing it? Um, that connection, you know, uh, that high you get from connecting with people is... Yeah, nothing really replaces that. But there's also, forget people for a second. There's also this kind of self-analysis, self-meditation um, that comes with being in a room by yourself, um, playing music. Mm. That um, it, it goes beyond worrying about markets and, and all this sort of stuff. It it starts to become some kind of therapy. Yeah, that's that's I think why I keep doing it. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, so... And then if people listen to it and then they listen to the result of my therapy, you know, they listen to my songs or my pieces then that to me is honesty. And if I can still remain honest in this age of, um, you know, quick YouTube videos and quick um, viral things then gratification viral gratification then i'll be very happy if i can just keep if i can just stay true to myself i don't really mind about getting my music out there in terms of uh, soundcloud and stuff like that it is obviously you get a little bit envious of bands that that do really well um on soundcloud and, and all this kind of stuff but to me the artists that i admire the most are artists like bill murray He's an actor, obviously. Um, you know, Harry Angus, um, Australian uh, trumpet player, singer from the Cat Empire. Um, these people who... Or David Byrne, you know, he, who's, who's probably written a lot about this in his book. Um, these are people who are above these real constant uh, tides of opinion. mm these are people who are just living their own life and everyone can decide, you know, like Anthony Hopkins, I guess, does the same thing. He's not in the tabloids every day, 
but people respect what he does and will go and see his films. Um, that's, you know, that's really admirable for me. Mm. You know, Bill Murray doesn't have the internet. He lives, I think he lives about two hours out of LA somewhere. <laughs> and the only way you can get a, um, get him to do a film is you have to just ring his landline and leave a message and he might get back to you. He might not. Mm. And, you know, no one knows where he is. And yeah, to me, yeah, that's that's a pretty cool thing. That he's, off the radar. Well, especially today. You know, of course you want your community, you want people, you want loving people around you and that's probably what he's got. I'm not saying he's by himself just in a shack, just, you know, hunting deer or something. I'm, I think he's probably got a family. I don't know anything about him, to be honest, but I have this picture in my head of someone who's sort of above all this opinion mm. stuff that's going on um, on social media and YouTube and stuff like that. Mm. He doesn't get swept up in the self-gratification. It's about the work and the art and telling a story or playing a song or being yeah. authentic and truthful. Yeah, I think that's that's something I strive, strive for. And it, it is hard because, of course, you want people to like you and, of course, you want to stay in touch with... You don't want to be isolated from society. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So I'd like to, I'd love to backtrack for a moment. Um, we got pretty philosophical pretty quickly there. Um, <laughs> I'd love to know about your, um, your kind of origin story, how you started and what sort of put you in front of a piano. Uh, parents were arguing a lot and, uh, throwing plates and all that kind of stuff. And I assume this wasn't at a wedding. No, no, no. It wasn't at a a Jewish wedding or a Greek wedding or anything like that. I actually played a Jewish wedding on Sunday where the glass was broken. <laughs> yeah, we played played some, played some songs. Yeah, it's a lot of a lot of uh what do you call it? Crockery, is it? No. A lot of whatever getting broken. Mm. Um no, there was yeah, there was a lot of arguing and I was sort of um a lot I was into sport. Um but of course you can't play sport twenty four seven. So there was moments where I'd be at night and tinkering away on some old Casio keyboard where the thing where the notes were sort of half the size of your finger. It was probably time around six or seven to get a piano. And my mum got this old terrible piano that we've still got somewhere, I think it's at my stepdad's house in Blackburn. Um doesn't get in tune i think it the best you can do is getting it a, i think a toned down from concert pitch but i love it i wrote wrote some of my in my opinion um some of my sort of best stuff unadulterated stuff before i went to uni before i learned all stuff about music um on it and yeah i'd pretty much just improvise not necessarily jazz not necessarily classical and I'd sort of sit down around seven or eight um, and just just play and just, just see what came out. And my mum got me to, to some lessons um, from this great teacher, Roseanne Hull-Brown, um, who's got a very musical family. I think Will's in the Cat Empire, Will Hull-Brown. And she's uh, she used to be an actress on Prisoner, believe it or not. Oh, wow. Uh, this is just a, I'm going to go on tangents here, I guess. Um, but yeah, she's a great piano teacher as well. And she gave us like lollies. That was pretty much the only reason I went For the to lollies. get, to get like, 
I don't know, some kind of jube. Jube. <laughs> wasn't hard candy. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was different every time. And it was a bit was it in like a actually. white bowl with red polka dots? Yeah, it was. Uh, there was a separate bowl for our special students. And I wasn't a special student. I was like, how do I get the good lot? Like the right. good stuff. Like the stuff that was wrapped in, a, you know, like the Ferrero Rocher. And, you know, back then in 1990-whatever, <laughs> 92. 1990, uh, I'm old. Yeah, 1990, I'm old. Back then, a Ferrero Rocher was like the pinnacle. Mm. Um, yeah, so so that was one of the only reasons I went to the lessons. I wasn't that <laughs> that wasn't that interested in practicing. It was just uh, I, I loved playing sport, and I just hated the fact that I was a little bit different from the others just by the, just by the pure fact that I went to these lessons. Mm. Um, oh, you play piano and all this stuff, but I was desperate to prove myself as a man as a sportsman and have a Ferrero Rocher along the way and I wanted to have I wanted but yeah but that was the goal that was the goal to have the Ferrero Rocher little did I know that I would never reach those kind of heights <laughs> the golden balls <laughs> she was never one of her special students although she might disagree but I never really did any practice <laughs> so I don't, I don't blame her for not giving me the the upper tier of confectionery after the lesson. But but that sort of grew and I started liking to perform and perform like Beatles tunes for, you know, family and stuff like that. It, I enjoyed the feedback. I enjoyed it. It was the only time I felt like I was actually contributing to mm. society or something. <laughs> what was your Beatles tune of choice? I Am The Walrus. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. Still like that one to this day. It's just sort of sums me up, I guess. Just one, just, <laughs> you know, ever like my mind is just, you know, always just walrusing. Mm. You know, it's always just going from one thought to another thought. Mm. And it sort of sums me up, I guess, that song. It also explains why you said cuckoo kachoo when I met you. Yeah, yeah. Is that right? Did I say that? <laughs> no, not really. I don't even remember. Um, yeah, so it's it's funny how people get into music as a kid because there's this all there's this one on one hand there's this oh we've got to practice and oh, we've got to oh got to get good marks and all this sort of stuff and some people actually like that it's the only reason they even do it in the first place they like that instant gratification they like that academic aspect to it. But I got, you know, coming up to VCE music, I still hadn't done any practice. So I, I got about, I think I got one of the low scores. Um, I got like 25 out of 50. Um, and that's terrible, you know, for someone who wants to be a professional musician. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but then I got into the VCE secondary school, um, VCAS. God knows why. Um, the guy, one of the main guys there, saw me play some original stuff and thought, oh, yeah, this guy seems kind of into it. Mm. I was more into it than good. You know, I was like just into it. And then from then on, I was I had this really strict piano teacher, Tim Stevens, this jazz guy who um, even, you know, even today, he's sort of, I sort of fear him a bit because he's, sort of, <laughs> he's sort of like... You know, really kind of strict and sort of... He seems like a serious guy. 
Um, but he sort of, I think, yeah, I was quite intimidated and I sort of started doing some practice, you know, started hanging out with people who are a lot better than I am. Um, and that was pretty motivating on that end, mm. that practicing end of things. Um, then I started getting really into jazz, you know, around 15, I started hanging out with the Settergreen clan, um, Bob Settergreen and Steve Settergreen and start going to the jams and never got a chance to play at the jam sessions at Dizzy's Jazz Club in Richmond. Mm. Um, but that never getting to play, that never having a chance to sort of do it sort of was the motivating factor to keep going and keep going. And mm. They're pretty big uh, pedigree, the Settergreens, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Great educators, great players. Bob Settergreen's been around for forever and one of the, one of the great improvisers. Mm. And Lovely Steve, guy. And Steve um, was responsible for the Cat Empire, wasn't he? Yeah, he was... I don't know the real story behind it, but um, Steve actually teaches my brother at Blackburn High at the moment, so I bump into him every now and again. And He definitely started the Jazz Cat Band, which was like a team of great artists from all these different high schools and just got them all to play jazz mm. um, music and leading into rock and Latin and stuff. And that's sort of how it happened. But the actual Cat Empire, you know, you can't attribute it to it anything but the actual players but in terms of uh steve started he put them together mm. you know he threw them in a room he threw them in a room and you know that's that's really important and you can't say that the cat empire would have ever happened without steve mm. so um yeah we played with a couple of the there's a bit of a jazz cat reunion last night at the evelyn last night we played a jazz party gig at um the evelyn and sort of New Orleans party band sort of thing. And, and, you know, Harry was there playing trumpet and so was Ross Irwin and he was in the jazz cat and Ryan Munro, the bass player, was in the audience just hanging out. Um, Is this that thing that's uh, run by Wondercore Island? Yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah, Cy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, he DJs and he sort of manages uh, Hiatus Coyote and mm. Oscar Key Sung and some other bands. Um, so he's quite... Having those kind of guys who are really on it, mm. really motivated to work. They're not performers. They're just wanting to help us out. They're wanting to put music in Melbourne on the global scale. Mm. We need people like that. We mm. need more people like that. I think Sai's doing a pretty good job of that. I saw Hiatus Coyote in Brooklyn a couple of years ago, and that was quite a trip because I'd seen them in Melbourne earlier that year. Um, so yeah, I think those guys are doing a pretty good job. I, I feel like Hiatus Coyote are more popular in the States than they are here. Yeah. I mean, I can't speak for Hiatus Coyote, but I'm good friends with Simon and Paul and, uh, and Perrin and, um, they, uh, apparently they went to, did this gig in Boston, I think earlier this year and they had like so many people coming up to them and going, Oh wow! And these were kind of musician people from the uni there. I think it's Berkeley or something like that. And they all came up to. They were just in awe, like not just here where it's like, oh cool, you know, mates of ours just playing Hiatus Coyote, whatever. Mm. They were in awe, like in the same way that people were in awe of Elvis or something like that. They were just that, and they wow. they didn't know how to take it. Obviously, it's a very full on thing to deal with. Mm. And then of course they go through that, and then they do some other gigs where they're not necessarily as in awe of them you know so um but they're doing so well 
Hiatus Coyote. They're just such a good band. I haven't seen a live act like that um, probably since the Cat Empire in terms of musicality, you know. And that goes back to the honesty factor. Mm. I mean, you know, it gives it gives me great satisfaction to see really good music being enjoyed by the semi-mainstream, if you want to call it that. Um, yeah, because people are loving it, but it's also very, very well-written songs, very, very good musicality mm. involved. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like there's a really supportive network in Melbourne uh, of musicians and producers, managers, that kind of infrastructure to support that kind of honest music and musicianship? Yeah, I do. I do. Um, Obviously, we need more people like Cy. We need more people like Martin Martini, my manager, who runs a a record label as well. Um, We need more people who want to bring music back, you know, like Hiatus are doing. I feel like the Cat Empire, I felt like that when I was, you know, uh, 18 or something, when the Cat Empire was sort of first doing their thing. I felt like, you know, thanks, Cat Empire, you know, for for making music, kind of for making my job a lot easier to be a musician. It's the same with Hiatus Coyote, you know, bringing, bringing like the public making the public aware of art, mm. you know. So In I think there is. Way. Yeah, and I just think there needs to be m- maybe more people like Cy and more people like Mark because there's definitely, there's definitely people listen to music. Everyone listens to music, you know. Uh, I don't know, probably about half an hour to an hour a day mm. on average, maybe more. Like workmen on a work site listen to music seven hours a day, probably listen to three hours of that is ads but but um you know and it just yeah it's about bringing music to people and mm. have you ever met someone who said they didn't like music um yeah one guy this alternative medicine guy that i go to called ladislav and he's uh this czech um, immigrant who I think fled during a conflict there many years ago. And he, um, yeah, we talked to him about music. He's like, no, it's just noise. He's just noise. He doesn't want to hear any noise. Mm. He doesn't want to hear a note. Um, but I kind of like that. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of, I like that. Cause he's like, no, nah. but this, but what I don't like is someone who's listening to music always thinking that it's just like a secondary thing. Like this is the modern way to listen to music. Oh, I'll, um, I'll listen to music while I do something else, mm. you know, I'll put it on random and, you know, it's just, I don't know, more and more, you know, the live gig is where you can really communicate your idea to someone because you've got their attention and yeah. Mm. So going back to um, what we were talking about before with your kind of um, your growth, I guess, as an artist coming out of school, hanging out with people like the Sedigrens. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's amazing to me how when you do start hanging out with people who are better than you at the craft that you're trying to make headway in, it really challenges you to step up to their level. Mm. And I feel like that's a continued kind of process throughout your career. 
Um, did you feel like that? And did you kind of get this uh, idea about being honest and being authentic through your art, through hanging out with people like the Sedegrins and um, and Cat Empire and these sort of cats? Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> I don't have anything to add to that, but... Mm. Um, I just have a thought about Brian Wilson, who got really jealous of the Beatles when they recorded Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, and it sort of drove him nuts with jealousy, mm. and he was not in a good way. You know, he went, he suffered a nervous breakdown or something like that through stress, and he, I think, produced Pet Sounds or, or something on the back of it, a masterpiece. Mm. Uh, so yeah I think a good healthy sprinkling of jealousy or envy or something like that is good I think Mm. we think that jealousy is bad but I I think I tell people openly that I'm jealous of them Um, and that's I think a great thing to do just tell someone that you're jealous of them Mm. take the sting out of it and yeah, and they'll be like, oh, cool, man. You know, that's great. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's a perfectly... You can't just sit there and go, you know, I'm happy that someone's getting WOMAD and I'm not getting WOMAD or, you know, Ollie McGill's playing the town hall gig on the organ and I'm not. You can't just say that, you know, it's, it's a healthy bit of competition. Mm. You know, and I got to hang out with Ollie last week at the Mullumbimby Folk Festival, and it was great because I've never been pushed so much in my life. I was doing about three or four shows a day with mm. various projects, and he was doing stuff as well. But he always found time to play the piano. There's a piano. we're actually staying in the same house. It's a big complex with different mm. shacks and stuff like that. And there's a piano in my room, and he was just constantly playing the piano. Mm, he's and the keys player from the cat he's Empire. the keys player from the cat Empire, yeah and and you know beautiful day in Mullen Bibby but all he's doing is playing and these exercises just just constantly and I haven't done exercises for years <laughs> I've just been you know doing not exercises just playing whatever is needed to be played mm. um, but you know we he taught me a couple of exercises and I taught him what I was sort of working on and sort of hang out for a little bit and pushed ourselves. And that weekend, I think, um, was just a perfect example of community and feeding off each other and actually getting the best out of each other um, in that situation. Mm. You know, we, we we had this thing where there was this piano bar in Mullumbimby and... Uh, he had this slot from five till 10 or something like that. And he played on the first night, he played for the entire five hours without a break. Wow. Um, and you're telling me I wouldn't be sort of jealous of that kind of tenacity and stuff mm. like that. The next night I was decided to maybe come up and help him out when I had a chance. And there he was banging away, you know, misty at a hundred miles an hour. And, and then I got up and played and I was like, we, we did this thing where he had accompany me singing and I'd accompany him singing. And then I, and, um, yeah, there's, there's something to be said about teamwork and pushing each other to, to reach a certain goal, mm. whether that was the plan or not, just, uh, 
just sort of happened and things like that, like little partnerships like that are really, really useful. Mm. I think in any profession and in particular creative ones, the people that you hang out with your community or your tribe or whatever you want to call it is the most important aspect of it because it will either keep you honest or it will keep you kidding yourself. It will either challenge you to step up or keep you content and in a stuck kind of place. Um, And I think that that's exactly what you're saying. It's really that teamwork, that community and that camaraderie. Yeah. And it has been like that for a while Um, with Simon Maven, the keys player from Hiatus Coyote. He, um, he and I have always had sort of these get togethers where we'd play for three or four hours and just, you know, of course he'd play something that I'd be like, Oh wow. What was that? Mm. And, you know, I'd hope that maybe I'd do the same and sort of learn from each other um, in that in that sense, come up with some tunes. I've written some songs with him. And it's certainly a good thing to do as well as individual practice and reflection when it mm. comes to music. Um, yeah. Mm. Do you remember the first time that you played piano? when you were a kid, you're talking about playing these Beatles songs. Do you remember the first time that you did that and you got that, uh, that feedback that kind of resonated, that kind of connection that we've been talking about the whole time. And obviously it's probably not conscious, but you had that feeling like I want to do this forever. I never had that. Right. I never had that feeling like I wanted to do it forever. Um, I liked doing it. I liked that I wasn't this kind of popular kid, but all of a sudden you get up and do I'm the Walrus or do a song in front of assembly or something like that. And suddenly people are like clapping and for a day you'd be popular. Um, I liked that aspect of it. Um, I never wanted to, I never thought I'd do it forever. I was at a real academic school. At least they thought they were academic. Um, yeah, up in Lilydale, out in the suburbs, <laughs> right at the end of the suburbs. Mm. Um, didn't have much of a music department then, and it's gotten worse, I hear, this, to this day. <laughs> I think they're almost scrapping the entire music department. I think they're... Just move it all to Moralbark. Yeah, I don't know what they're doing. I think they're just focusing on religious ed and English. <laughs> it's that kind of school. They're just up their own, you know, heads. <laughs> bottom heads yeah <laughs> um so that's their own that's their own problem but yeah i i uh it wasn't much encouragement to do music mm. and you you do music occasionally but um it wasn't encouraged and i thought i was going to be some kind of a econ- economist right um right up until year 11 or something i was i enjoyed money i enjoyed all I knew was that I enjoyed Monopoly and playing games like <laughs> Careers. The and game of life. The game of life. And I enjoyed counting things and I enjoyed probability and thinking like that. I was like, whatever, I could do this. So. But yeah, it wasn't until the V... I just did this random performance. This guy saw me and I was like, come to VCAS. It wasn't until then mm. that I thought, career... You know, being a, it was just the fact that everyone else was thinking career that I was like, yeah, career. 
I wasn't thinking career. It was the last thing I was thinking about. I mean, I wanted to be, I'm not ashamed to say that I wanted to be famous and wanted to be a star. I mean, what kid doesn't, you Mm. know? I constantly had dreams of being on stage in front of, you know, thousands of people and constantly had dreams of being like famous football player as well. And, you know, at the age of 12, I thought it was all possible, Mm. but I didn't actually think hard work, career, do this, this will happen kind of Mm. thing. You just thought you'd just play footy and someone would notice you and then you'd be famous. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was that easy. As a kid, I thought life would be be easy. Mm. <laughs> it's not like the Tats Lotto commercial. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's not like any commercial. <laughs> <laughs> Life's not like commercials. No. It's, uh, it's far from it. Mm. But... You know, there's no TV anymore. No one watches TV. So mm. one good thing about that is that there's no advertising. <laughs> People watch it online. There's advertising online nowadays, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, there is advertising online. But it's even more annoying than when it was on TV. Because mm. when it was on TV, you just sit down and go, all right, park my ass here for two minutes and drift off somewhere else and finish my Mars bar or whatever. <laughs> And then, but but now you actually want to get straight to the video, and it's just, mm. you know, well, that's the attention span thing, I guess. Yeah, and there's also pop up ads, which just infuriate me. That's true. I guess that that, that money does go to some of the artists, though. So that's one mm. of the few remaining revenue streams that are still there for musicians, and, and so mm. yeah. So that's that's unfortunately. Advertising is is one of the main uh, income sources for music these days. Mm. Well, that's a good thing if the artists are getting it. Yeah, you know, artists get screwed in yeah. the, in in most ways. So it's true, and there's, there's actually less chance of getting screwed by a record company these days because you, most people are doing it themselves. Um, you only have to look at countries like North Korea where advertising is completely banned. Mm. And then you're like, oh, you know, that's actually a bad thing. You know, people can't just do whatever they want. So there's a bit of a balance there Mm. in terms of advertising and in terms of... Freedom of expression and um, I guess it's a capitalist kind of uh, freedom of knowledge or... I don't know, freedom of selling your wares or being able to earn an income, being an artist or, I don't know, I'm trying to figure it out as I'm saying it. If you could figure it out, then you'd be one of the very few. Mm. I think an art, the hardest thing for an artist is to find where he or she sits in the world and whether there's any point in it and whether it's, <laughs> whether it's you know, whether you're doing it for yourself very selfish thing to do or whether you're actually doing it for somebody else or I mean one thing you can maybe take from it is that it's a very peaceful thing to do mm. there's no violence in music um, it's very it's it's usually talking about things that are good and mm. you know usually reflecting about you know bad things but in a positive way or I don't know but it's connecting and uh, letting people know they're not alone yeah in those bad things yeah but 
trying to figure out whether you're doing it for an egotistical purpose or whether you're doing it for yeah it's the more I do it the more I think that not thinking is the best thing to do Mm. um, as an artist you gotta feel it yeah not think it you've just gotta do it like that's what's that's for me that's why I'm so enviable envy envious envious of animals you know if you ever watch an animal, they just constantly just just live in the moment, seeking whatever they need to get at the time. There's mm. no sitting back and going, hmm, this is what I need to do tomorrow. I might build a nest and two days after that, I might start a family and <laughs> get a mortgage. You know, I they gather just, some leaves. Yeah. I won't gather leaves today. It's a, it's a windy day. I might. Like, they, they just do it. I'll wait till they're on sale. <laughs> yeah. On Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's something to be said about that. I think as an artist in particular, I think it's good to, to not plan, mm. to, to, just, to just go in the moment. And if things work out, like in these situations, this is the only time I ever think about what we're talking about now. Mm. You know if I sat around and thought about all this stuff every day, it'd be just this inward, <laughs> inward, inward, inward the thing. Big cloud over you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm quite inward at times thinking about all this stuff. Oh yeah. That's why I do a podcast so I can get it all out. Yeah. It's great. This is just, this is a free psychology session mm. for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like 180 bucks. So what you're saying saved. is you should pay me $180 at the end of this. <laughs> yeah. But I'll get a Medicare. Don't. So I can, yeah, claim it on Medicare. Are we set up for Medicare yet? <laughs> no, he's shaking his head in utter disdain. I've always thought some of my best interviews are with my psychologist. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, I wish you could get that down. Mm. Um, but no. Do you think it's important for creative people to seek that kind of counsel to kind of get all this stuff out? Uh, yeah, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I think that... Uh, these thoughts are always cluttered. We, we don't, I don't know the answers to anything we're talking about here. Mm. So it's just a discussion. I mean, you don't have to be insane to go to a psychologist. Sometimes she gives me, uh, you know, business coaching. You know, sometimes it's relationship coaching. Sometimes, and everyone suffers from relationship issues, be mm. it with their parents or with their, um, you know, their spouse or whatever so I'd, I'd recommend everyone going I, i'm surprised that not more people go actually because there's a there's a, there's a medicare rebate uh that covers most of it mm. and Good mental health plan and if you just sit aside for one once a month and just analyze some of your decision making so, some of your past and future things i think it's a really good thing to reflect Mm. Um, because you can be too much of an animal as well you can just be just going about your daily business like a scared bird you know always like oh i've got to get this done and i've got to get this done um but to have that hour to just stop and reflect is i think a good thing as well Mm. yeah i agree i i was seeing a psychologist and i've seen coaches and things like that pretty consistently over the last year and it really helps to free up the space for creativity yeah it really does and I can't help but think that if everyone had a coach then 
the world would be a better place perhaps mm. imagine if someone like uh, you know our politicians for instance um, had sort of coaches instead of just yes men yes men and fear mongering imagine if they had sort of more positivity you know mm. um, I think people would would be less fearful if they had coaches They'd mm. rationalise their thoughts. They wouldn't just see a headline on the paper. I saw this disgusting headline in the, on the Herald Sun yesterday saying, need to change Islam or something like that. You know, on the Herald Sun. And it was very much as a moment there where I'm like, oh, you know, disappointment. Mm. Disappointment button in my brain. Um Imagine if they said that about any other religion, you know? There's need to change Judaism, need to change Catholicism or whatever. It's a ridiculous thing to say. Yeah. Absolutely ridiculous. Islam's been around for years. Islam's not the problem. Anyway, um, yeah, I just think if, if, if people had coaches, they wouldn't necessarily... They'd be better off... They'd be, they wouldn't be so reactionary when they see a headline like that. Mm. They'd be like, this is what's happening in my brain... Um, this is how I'm responding. This, to this is how I'm responding. Um, I'm meant to be angry. Hence, I'm angry. Mm. Um, you know, this is, this is all things. If you can see above it, if we could all mm. see above all this crap, be the witness, know, um, then I think maybe the world would be a better place. Maybe, maybe we would, um, sort of deal with each other. Mm. Cause I don't think we deal with each other very well. Us humans, I think we we hate each other. We constantly have to put on this act, this persona, which which person means act, like mm. we're putting on this mask, and um, we're we're sort of at, when we get into our own worlds after a busy day, we're like, oh, phew, you know, Simon, God, I don't want to see him again. Mm. You know, Alice, God, I wish she wouldn't, you know spill crumbs everywhere. I mean, I don't, you know, I think hu- like humans interact with each other quite in a strange way. Mm. Um, yeah. A lot of the time it's days. very superficial and it feels like a lot of people, a lot of the time live making decisions out of fear, whether it's a fear of rejection, yeah. a fear of being found out, a fear of not being loved, um, whatever the case may be. And it does create this weird kind of persona and reactive kind of energy where people aren't really connecting to one another. No. No, they're not. Um, said it in one. <laughs> and I suppose, I suppose music can bridge that gap in a sense because it's communicating without words. It's communicating through emoting, really, and through a kind of visceral experience that you're, I guess, facilitating amongst a crowd of people. Yeah. Uh, It's very powerful when it's, yeah, it's hard to explain, but it's above words. It's, it's, um, it doesn't rely on language. It doesn't rely on, it's, it's emotion. It's, it's thought. It, it doesn't leave, you don't listen to something and, kind of instantly go ban Islam you know what I mean you you just go you know that's good you make up your own mind what it is that reminds me of 
something I've heard in a movie 20 years ago or or that reminds me of a good experience that reminds me of a bad experience um yeah sometimes music is the only music and and some other art is is the only truth I can actually see you know in the world um yeah Mm. So when did you start um, playing with bands and players and things and you actually started getting the sense that people were actually coming to see you? Um, well, I was in this band called The Melodics and it was sort of, I guess, to sum it up quickly, it would be like a Triple J band where we'd do all those festivals um, Meredith, Big Sound, um, all those kind of festivals. Um, uh, and people were enjoying it and it was quite a lot of hype at certain times throughout our six year, uh, span. And yeah, people were dancing, people were loving it. It's amazing, you know? Um, that's, yeah, when, that was, we started that in 2005 before then, I don't even know if I was doing too many good gigs. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was playing in like cafes or something and there'd be like people wishing that I wasn't playing because they wanted sil- like silence while they eat, their, while they eat their food. Yeah, but you'd get your 150 bucks and that'd be, that'd be it. Um, yeah, the more I, I try and reflect on the, on the good gigs where... People are actually listening and enjoying it um, more than just the work aspect of music. Because mm. um, we've all got to work and um, I sometimes have to do things that I don't want to do, you know, in order to live, like like play play wedding functions and stuff like that. I didn't really want to talk about weddings, actually, in this <laughs> podcast. Um, but even the best of them do it. You know, Lior was playing at the wedding I was doing on su- Sunday night. He was playing a couple of tracks. Mm. Um, he's a great singer-songwriter. Everyone's got to pay rent. Everyone's got to pay rent, yeah. So, yeah, that was one of my... F- the Melodics was one of my first experiences of people actually enjoying um, the music that I was playing. Um, there was probably more experiences before then, but... Um, it's amazing that the, the the few good moments that you get, whether it's your own perception of it or whether the audience is actually um, feeling it as well, that those those kind of outweigh the bad. So um, you might get three gigs out of ten that are like really good, but that's enough. Mm. You know, they're your Ferrero Rocher moments. They're the Ferrero Rocher moments. Um, we had a Ferrero Rocher moment last night, actually. Um, everyone was just dancing and screaming and wanting encores and mm. and we're playing New Orleans jazz music, you know, it's like, it's, it's a, it's a, it brings me a lot of happiness when yeah, that kind of awesome. thing happens, you know, and we did that last week at Mum and Bimby as well. We just, we played every night to packed house dancing, you know, loving it and we're playing, playing sort of jazz music. Mm. Admittingly, we we're playing a sort of a, our own breed of jazz music. It was a bit more heavier, a bit more danceable. Mm. But 
my my best gigs are the next gigs that I'm playing. You know, I don't I don't think that I've yeah. I just keep trying to do the next one. Mm. Yeah, and take steps forward. Yeah, mm. so just keep just keep keep bettering myself, keep bettering my music. Mm. Um, and only I can be the judge of that. You know. Mm. It all started. It started like trying to please my mum, like oh, you know, do some practice or whatever. But that's long gone now. I think I, d- I just do it just f- for myself. Mm. You know, just to better myself. I'm the only one who can, who knows whether I can better myself or not. Mm. Is that? You spoke before about, um, you know, what's the, what's the point of it all? Is it, are you doing it for yourself? Are you doing it in service for other people? And I think that's kind of about everything in life, you know. Um, it's you're always kind of either working from a place of ego or a place of yeah. loving service. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's yeah, kind of summing it up in a black and white way. But that's so true, actually. Mm, um, do you think that's what the meaning of every like life is? Artistry, what you do, why you do it. Yeah. Yeah, I think exactly that. <laughs> if I agree with you, I don't see any point in continuing. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, have you seen um, that actor Richard Adelaide or whatever his name is? He's that he's the guy in the IT crowd. Um, he's in the Mighty Boosh as well, and he does right. the best interviews. Mm. He just the interviewer, the poor interviewer, asking all these questions like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Ask me another question. <laughs> <laughs> I've kind of got dreams of maybe having an interview like that one day, but I just, I can't do it to the poor interviewer, mm. you know? It'd take a lot of chutzpah on the behalf of the interviewee <laughs> yeah. to just sit there and go, no, what's the next question? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I kind of like artistic interviews like that. Mm. I checked out a couple of the interviews on here, actually. Oh, yeah. um yeah, great. A great idea just to have this kind of hour just to talk about stuff. And mm. admittingly, I don't know that much about anything, but that's, I guess, what's so kind of fun as well. Mm. Just, well no one really knows much about anything. Well, I was listening to The World Today on the ABC as I was coming here going, oh God, I wish I could sound a little, little, little bit more like this guy. Mm. This guy was like the genetic scientist biology guy just inventing you know he's got his whole family this um see i can't talk i don't know anything about it but he he was he's just everything was just the best answer and just he just knew so much and it was so informative mm. <laughs> i just feel like i sort of don't know how to do that unless i guess if i had some notes i'd be like <laughs> oh yeah i started my career at 15 and then i have graduated i want to scholarship here and I did all this stuff Mm. I I don't think this podcast is about that at all I think it's about giving people the freedom to be themselves and express their views um, yeah and come up with things like Ferrero Rocher moments which we could put on a (laughs) t-shirt yeah (laughs) or hand out cards at the end of the gig here's your Ferrero Rocher moment yeah well I think that's what people enjoy like I think people enjoy just these little rewards Mm. that they get from doing things 
whether that's a good thing, whether we can sort of maybe if we, we could live life better if we didn't need for a, a little payoff, um, whether we could just maybe just be comfortable enough. There's this composer called Charles Ives. Um, this American composer who I've listened to a couple of his symphonies and a couple of his church music. Um, and the great thing about him is he wasn't actually, he didn't make any money from his com- compositions. Half of his compositions weren't even played in his lifetime. He didn't even care because he was a rich... He was one of the first people who invented health insurance. Right. Um, or some insurance in general. And he got to write some amazing music because he didn't care about the money aspect. And he said that awards rewards are for high school students. Mm. You know, they're not for... Um, peace people or scientists or whatever you know their rewards are for high school students and I've taken that a little bit with me Mm. you know not to get jealous of you know this violinist who's won this prize and this pianist who's won endless prizes and stuff like that Mm. because well then you're not doing it in service you're doing it for yourself because you're going to get some gratification at the end of the yellow brick road yeah but that, if if that's easier though you know yeah. it's easier to get your Ferrero Rocher and it's easier to put that on your biography and bring people to your shows and be able to create your art mm. to more people mm. you know um, I guess there's an element of faith then that you can or you I guess there's I guess it requires an element of faith then that what you put out into the world will be received and will be found by the right people that are looking for it. Yeah. That's that's like that's what I'm hoping. Mm. I think it's good to connect with one person really well than connect with a million people on a superficial level. Mm. And I'm trying not to judge those million people, but I'm I'm just trying to think from my own point of view. If I can connect, I played a gear, a jazz gig like a month ago, and I think there was about ten people in the audience. But a couple of them came up to me afterwards and just said, "Oh, loved it and loved what you did there and stuff like that." And I've done gigs in front of a thousand people, and I've walked away going, oh, "You know, <laughs> got nothing." Mm. <laughs> mm. Do you? Do you have a kind of faith or a religion that you kind of follow that kind of helps you uh, drive forward? Um, I think everyone has their own religion. I think you can define it in terms of institutionalized religion, like, oh, yeah, I'm I'm a Jew or I'm a Muslim or whatever. But if we actually stop and think about what we're actually going on in what's going on inside our brains i don't think there's a necessarily any sort of spiritual communication is directly linked to any religion i believe that there is is spirituality in everyone mm. and whether people need to just find their own spirit and i think for me i i think you know i just try and uh, live by my own morals and try and better my own um, thoughts and my own feelings and just be 
probably just be a better person to be around. Mm. Um, I guess the religion I'm most interested in is the least, for me, selfish religion and the least profiteering religion, and that's uh, Buddhism. Um, There seems to be a lot of uh, sacrifices that those people make. And if you only just have to look at the Dalai Lama... Mm. as a religious leader um, and I don't think anyone can fault him mm. I mean there's a great quote of his that says I uh, my religion is the religion of kindness yeah I think I think that's a great thing to say about any religion I think you can't call yourself a Catholic if you're you know abusing people you can't call yourself a Jew if you're doing other things you know if you're creating violence um I, in my opinion, I, I think that, I think that you should only be kind to people. Mm. I, I just don't see any point in not, not being kind to people and calling yourself a religious person, mm. you know, um, it's probably an airy thing to say, but I think it's probably true. I think when kids grow up, they go, you're going to be kind to everyone and all this sort of stuff. And I think why, when we're adults, do we sort of go, oh, maybe religion's about something else mm. not not about being generous not about being kind no it's about getting the Ferrero share at the end of the lifetime yeah, it's about improving their own lives maybe I yeah. don't know but there's definitely good things about every religion and and I I actually practice at a church I practice um, I have a studio at this church up in Brunswick and they're great people mm. these Christians you know and they're so they're so aware of everything and they're so politically minded and they're so generous to communities and they're so generous to asylum seekers and there and you know i i think that's that's great whether i believe in christianity um the bible is is another thing but but in terms of um if you look at the teachings, if you if you go if you look at every Bible, there's amazingly great things in every like the, not every Bible, you know the Quran, every every book, credo, credo. Um, that word. sounds weird. I don't know if that's right <laughs> Creed, yeah, I don't know. If you look at every uh, scripture, um, there's some there's some great moments where where you sort of start thinking about. Um, the bad stuff is is when you start thinking that oh you know all these Christians invaded these guys at some point and and they took over these guys and then mm. you know it, genocide here Holocaust yeah. here no one's for me out of the dark with that stuff I reckon mm. you have to look at what well I'm not going to talk about other people I just want to talk about myself. Um, I want to look at just what helps me and, mm. and my own spirituality. Mm. And I think by doing that, I think I can be free of maybe judging other people's religion, mm. um, which is what I think a lot of people are doing at the moment. Yeah, I would agree with that. And it's come up a couple of times on the podcast, this idea that we are spiritual beings having a human existence. Yeah. Um, do you believe in God or a deity or some kind of larger energetic kind of thing that is bigger than we are? Um, <laughs> I think yes, but I think that 
I, I just don't... Th- I think we're all humans, you know? Mm. Like, we're... Like, we think we're better than everyone else. We think we're better than the animals. We think we're better than science. We think they're better than all this. I think that it's whatever it is, we haven't even thought about it, mm. you know? And there's definitely an energy. There's definitely an energy that I think wants us to succeed as a race, as a human, as a human race. Um, it's humanity that gets in the way of that. Mm. Um, science, I believe in science, but I think science is a human based thing as well. So there's no way of knowing, um, where that links in, where science link science links in with, uh, energy and spirituality because I'm there's, they've done things like they've done scientific uh, research about dimensions. And I'd like to look in that, into that further. Um, not as a scientist, but just, just finding out about it just where there's, there's so many things we don't know. Mm. Um, to the point where we shouldn't be so sure that we do know the things that we do know. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> blew my mind a little bit there. <laughs> yeah I've, i'm a bit weird <laughs> no it's i mean these are the sort of conversations that evolve on the show yeah um, i think i had one where somewhere i was talking to someone and we ended up getting into this point where it's like well maths isn't actually absolute you know we yeah. think it is and it's gotten to a point where it's commonly accepted as one plus one equals two but really that's just something that we've constructed. Yeah. It's a human invention. And you know, you've got to be wary of anything that's, that's human mm. when it comes to truth, you know, because there's so many things that get changed. I mean, you just have to look at studies on the radio. Oh, don't eat rice. You know, it's bad for you. Mm. Two years later, eat rice. <laughs> yeah. You know, just live you know i try and just live by my own energy and by my own code and Mm. it's very hard not to be caught up in all these conspiracy theories and about energies and larger energies and ufos and all this kind of stuff Mm. and there's actually there was a point there where i was really consumed by it you know around um, the middle of the year and i started writing all these songs about i've written a song cycle called the world leaders and the illuminati right (laughs) um which is about control and mind control and all that kind of stuff. I might play a couple of those songs actually. Mm. Um, Cause it's kind of what we've been talking about. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to having you play on the show. Um, there is one question that I like to ask everyone yep. right at the end of the show before we wrap up and it's grammatically ambiguous. So make yep. of it at what you will. Yeah. What makes you silly? Um, what makes me silly? That's a really tough question. That's a really tough question. Because um, I'm actually thinking about it. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm not just like, oh, you know, other when people make me silly. And, yeah, it's part of someone's head or whatever. Um, just when you can trust someone 100% to be able to just spill the beans mm. and just have a, have a good time, I guess, is when I 
when I get pretty silly and yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's a terrible answer. I don't, I don't know how to answer that question. What happens when you when you trust someone and spill the beans? Either they enjoy the moment of trust or they spill the beans to someone else. Right. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a Do you have an example of something silly that you've done? Ah. Uh, Nothing that I probably will want to get cut out after after right. the interview. <laughs> um, oh, silly! What define silly? Because I could go many. Or well, something ways that makes you silly, or something that is silly about you. Yeah, I have these things with clothes where I don't really like following a particular trend, but I like the idea of putting on something weird. Mm. just for the sake of putting on something weird and then grappling with the idea that someone else might like it or might not like it and get their opinions and this weird thing like yeah it's pretty silly like I was toying with the idea of wearing a French Legionnaire's hat at the gig last night Mm. and I put it on the the hats with the back (laughs) you know they look ridiculous I was like that's going to be really cool (laughs) and then I put it on looked in the mirror I thought, nah, it's just it's just beyond feeling comfortable. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'm not really into fashion necessarily, but I like the idea of what someone else has done. Like you know, when David Byrne like wears a ridiculous suit, or um, I th- you know that's pretty silly to think about that as a musician. I reckon mm. push the boundaries a little bit. Yeah, I like wearing weird things. Um, my manager says I should always just rock up to a gig with what I wear usually, which is just thongs, shorts, and a wife beater <laughs> singlet, you know. Um, that's, a bit, that's a bit silly, really. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Hugh. Where can you. Um, Where can uh, the listeners find your music? Well, hopefully one day nowhere. so that one day they can just only listen to it on the traditional format which is the vinyl or even better the uh, the gramophone Mm. the wireless (laughs) in all seriousness they can go online and check out poundrecords.com where they can buy an album or they can listen to a couple of tracks obviously YouTube I'm trying to build a YouTube presence but I don't like anything that I've put up on there Mm. Um, they're all, I've played, I'm not very good in front of a camera or when the, the, the things are running now, you know, I'm not very, I don't think I'm very good, but there's, there's going to be some moments where someone just happens to have a camera and they've caught me just at the right time. I can chuck it up. Mm. There's a great piano player called Keith Jarrett who, who records every gig and it's only one every two years that he releases, mm. you know, it's great. Yeah, you because know, he get he chooses it and he releases it and he he knows that it's more than the notes. It's just this whatever was happening that day it was just. Mm. So yeah, so I'm just trying to improve that. But yeah, check it out on YouTube or online or come to a come to a show. God forbid. God forbid. Go and see some live music. Go and see. There's some great things happening next year, which are good, like lots of festivals and mm. going to put a comedy festival show on. Oh, awesome! Going to try and make the most. Well, the least funny show. I'm going to go for the least funny show award cool. next year. The comedy festival and then the Adelaide Cabaret in the middle of the year and festivals here and there. Awesome. Yeah. 
So stay tuned for Hugh Blaine's hopefully not appearing or having any music anywhere in 2016. <laughs> That's the goal. Hopefully Bill Murray. Bill Murray. Hopefully I'll be living somewhere in nowhere. Just yeah, Hopefully you'll only be able to contact me via landline. That's the goal. Carry a pigeon. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Hugh. Thank you. Thanks, Alice. Kennedy knows